Hello and welcome to The Change Troubleshooter. This is Nina Dar's podcast. Hello and welcome to season two of The Change Troubleshooter podcast. If you are just listening, then this is to also inform you that As all these episodes were recorded on Zoom, we took the opportunity to record video at the same time. So there is a video that accompanies the audio podcast and you can find those on my social media shares and on the ninadar.com YouTube channel. This season is all going to be about sustainability which I'm really excited about. After years of working with supply chains, product life cycles, and trying to encourage companies to see a more human approach to innovation and change, then I thought it was about time that I formalized this element of sustainability in my own work. And actually, I've gone a bit further than that, inspired by the studying I did with the Cambridge Institute of Sustainable Leaders. It's gone way into my personal life as well as it should. So I'm starting with a definition of sustainable from Dame Polly Cortis. She is the amazing woman behind the Cambridge Institute. Such a simple definition, a resource or an activity that is able to be maintained at a certain rate or level. There's nothing complicated about that. It's kind of a live within your means statement, but we haven't been, have we? We've been taking more and using the world's resources in a way which we now understand is not sustainable. And if we continue, then we will be destroying the best planet there is. And along this journey, I've had the opportunity to learn lots of new things and come in contact with people who are saying things that just make sense. Now, this isn't, you don't have to be a scientist. You don't need to be super qualified. There are people out there that are just saying things that when you listen to them, you know it makes sense. And Kate Rayworth is one of those people. And she talks about the fact that unless we transform the economic and public debate, we stand very little chance indeed of thriving in this century. Today, we have economies that need to grow, whether or not they make us thrive. What we need are economies that make us thrive whether or not they grow. And the simplicity of that is the same as the simplicity of the definition from Polly. These are very simple messages that should be resonating with all of us, that we have lost touch with the simplicity in which we keep the world in balance. And there are good reasons for that. You know, we've enjoyed growth and success that's come from an industrial era. But does that need to define our future? They're the questions that we need to ask now. And if they're not going to define our future, then 
how are we going to make a change that gives us a very different future to live within. So there are a couple of videos. You will be able to follow these if you're just listening to the audio. And I encourage you just to check out the video footage. In the 20th century, economics lost its purpose and started chasing the false goal of GDP growth. In recent decades, that has pushed many societies into deepening inequality, and it's pushing us all towards ecological collapse. This century calls for a new goal, meeting the needs of all within the means of the planet. In other words, it's time to get into the donut, the sweet spot for humanity. But that's no easy task. Today, billions of people still fall short of their daily needs, from food, housing and energy to healthcare and education. And yet collectively, we've already overshot our pressure on some of Earth's most critical life support systems, driving climate change and the breakdown of biodiversity. What we do to this Earth in the next 50 years will shape the next 10,000. So let's replace that last century goal of endless growth with the goal of thriving in balance. And if we're to have half a chance of getting there, what economic mindset would be fit for the task? I love that thought-provoking notion from Kate that we've had a way that defined our past, but what is going to define our future? We know we can't continue in the way that we're going. We are literally going to run out of everything, and that makes no sense for anybody. So nobody thinks that's a great idea. But what path do we take next? And I think to understand that, Kate has so many videos that I encourage you to watch. We must understand our history and must understand where some of this is coming from to allow us to break free from that and move forward in a positive way. So here's just another short clip from her. In April 1947, in a little Swiss village, a small band of economists met with plans to rewrite the global economic story, and they called it neoliberalism. Their method was ingenious. They described each economic actor with a set of such powerful traits that the rest of the script almost wrote itself. In the 1980s, when their laissez-faire story was finally put on the international stage, the plot was loaded from the very start. And so for the last 40 years, we've been told that the market is efficient, so give it free reign. That the state is incompetent, so don't let it meddle. That trade is win-win, so open your borders. That the commons are tragic, so sell them off. That society, well, there's no such thing, so ignore it. And that the household is domestic, so leave it to the women. With such a cast list, the triumph of the market seemed almost inevitable and it's been driving us into social and ecological crisis. But we were also told that finance is infallible, and that was so clearly disproven in the global financial crash that it's called the rest of the story into question too. It's time to ditch this outdated neoliberal script. We need a new economic story that's fit for the 21st century, one that puts the economy in service to life. So how should that story begin? A story that puts the economy in service to life. Amazing, amazing. And don't we need that now? We know that on so many levels, change needs to happen. And that change isn't one thing. 
It isn't that we just unlock another door and walk through it and it's as simple as that. It is now about system thinking. It's about understanding the connections that we have created with so many things that do unfortunately take the very simple messages we started with and make them a bit more complicated and a bit harder to unpick. But systems thinking is simple in its foundation. It is just accepting that for every action, there's a reaction and there are consequences, positive and negative. And as you go through those things, there are probably trade-offs that we need to make in different areas just to rebalance what's happening. And in some cases, this isn't wholesale change. In some cases, it is just a rebalance. But in other situations, it is wholesale change that makes it seem a bit more frightening and a bit more out of reach. But to help us, people have been working on this for years and years and years and putting together formats, solutions, theories, ideas that really should have been helping us much more than they have been to date. The sustainable development goals really show us this system approach in 17 boxes and it covers everything. So when people say, oh, if you focus on climate, what about people that are on the streets? Well, actually, sustainability is focusing on climate and the people on the streets and the people that don't have anything to eat and the water that we need to clean up and the fact that we've got inequality when it comes to gender and race. It covers all those things because really what we do is so connected. So what the change needs to be is also really connected. So looking at this in the right way, using this system thinking would create a benefit in all these areas because they are all connected. Everything is interrelated. And that makes this topic really exciting for somebody like me because that system thinking is something that I've always tried to bring into my work and actually into my life. There's nothing more that I love than organising a complex anything, party, change project, trip around the world, anything. And it's all because I like to figure out how things are connected and understand if I change one thing here, what is going to be the impact of that change. And that system thinking is the foundation behind these episodes in season two. So far, there are seven already recorded, but I hope to continue recording and keep this season going because it's been so interesting talking to the people that have been so happy to help and get their messages across. And I'm sure that once you start listening to these, these are conversations that you two will also want to get involved in. So we start at home. I guess I thought it was a good starting point. And we asked the question, does sustainability start at home? And I use my hometown of Lim as a case study. So when I finished studying, like I said, the impact of that course wasn't just professional, it was personal. So I took to my hometown to see what was going on and what we were doing to make Lim a sustainable village. 
and I'm joined by Zoe and Bob who have been involved in local sustainable community projects for years. So really interesting to hear their take on what's happened after thousands of volunteer hours. And I take that thinking way over to sunny LA, who, if you look online, have an absolutely fantastic sustainability green plan for the city. LA was part of the Sustainable Cities programme years ago. So this is not a new initiative. It's an updated initiative that was born out of sustainable cities. And it looks fabulous. And when I was comparing what I'd seen in Lyme versus what I'd seen in LA, it definitely seemed to be shinier in more ways than one. So my friend Yoel, who is an LA resident and a young entrepreneur and business owner, took the challenge of me live talking to him about the LA Green Initiative. And as an LA resident, had he heard of it? Was he involved in it? What did he think of it? And it's great that Joel put himself in that position so that we could capture his reactions live. And then we go on to something that we can't live without, food. Of course, a massive area of debate. Do we all need to go vegan? Scares me to death as a love a steak. And my friend in Canada, Bonita, who has spent many years investing her time in local food production, in fact, working for local farms, working in farmers' markets, getting involved in citizen food sharing programmes. So she has put together a number of things from a Canadian perspective, so much more interesting than just taking a one-sided approach but she does take an interest in what's been happening in the UK. And there is a, there's a lovely moment in there where she shrieks at the fact that we have almost 68 million people in this tiny country and wonders whether we're just all living on top of each other. So that's great and something for everybody in there. Then we go on to something that's a bit more geeky, but very, very important. Can we be sustainable with or without data? And here I'm joined by some colleagues I've known for a long time in the world of data, Anders, Federico and Alan. And Alan works for EQ Technologic and is a company that I've been involved with for some time now. And we have often very thought-provoking conversations about data and what we're doing with data and data strategies and data ecosystems. And I feel very passionately about this area, especially about the need for companies to be much more serious, I guess, about having data strategies, data ecosystems. And we use the fact that data itself and the storage of data is becoming quite a sustainability issue. And that's balanced with the fact that it's data that tells us we have an issue. So we need data. It's 
fundamental and becoming increasingly important that quality data helps our decision making. But if we don't have good data quality strategies, the accumulation of data is going to cause us significant issues in a completely different way. And that takes us nicely onto another geeky episode, Achieving a Sustainable Digital Thread. And for the last 10 more now years, that has been my work, digital transformations, PLM systems, Unfortunately, not as much in actually focusing on actual product life cycles as I would like, more emphasis on the technology behind product life cycle management, which has always driven me mad, to be quite frank. So here with Ross Cadden's, another colleague for Siemens, another company that I've worked with for a number of years, we look at this notion of achieving a sustainable digital thread. Again, using things that are already out there, not having to reinvent the wheel in a number of ways, and there's a lot of technology that exists, but using it in a way that would make your thought processes, your actual manufacturing, your design processes, your supply chains much more sustainable. So a fantastic session there. And then to bring it back to something for everybody, a lovely session with Sophia, who is on her own journey, moving from a world that she couldn't wait to enter, fast fashion or fashion generally, a career that she really wanted and was very driven to be successful in. And then through the pandemic, having to take responsibility for things that she wouldn't normally see and having her eyes opened to maybe the darker side of that and how that's impacted her thought process and what it means to her as she's thinking about what she wants to do in the future. And we end, well, end at this moment with Zoe who talks about what an activist looks like. And that question is because when I met Zoe, she was introduced to me as an activist, but not one of those activists that, you know, not one of those activists. In fact, she's just like you. And it made me laugh so much. And it made me really think, oh, how do we perceive activists? And activism and the role of reformers in society was something that was part of my study. So I was gripped by this anyway, the rule of law, how important activists and activism is in civil society. And then it made me really think about perhaps we have just got this wrong. We see them in a way that is almost threatening sometimes. And I've put myself in some situations recently where I can tell you that I couldn't have got it more wrong. There's a whole host of people out there putting themselves in situations of personal risk to make us realise that there are things that are going on that we should be more aware of. So it's a fantastic, thought-provoking and really inspiring episode to end this section on. 
With all the episodes, they start with a, that title, which ends up being a thought-provoking question or a statement that allows for a good chat. A chat with people who bring their own experiences and solutions to the conversation. Each episode ends with some very clear actions that we hope will inspire you to continue the conversation with us. As I've mentioned, each podcast has a video that goes alongside it and they will be loaded on the Nina Dai YouTube channel. But as you know, many of these things I share on social media, so I'm sure you'll see. And we would like you all to get involved. You can just call me or you can email me on nina at ninadar.com. And if you know me from the good old cheeky monkey days, ninadar at cheeky-monkey.co is still very much alive and kicking. And you can contact me that way too. And of course, on all the social media outlets, you can get the podcast in all the normal places. You get your podcast. So I'm really looking forward to launching the first episode next week. And I can't wait to hear your reaction to that. Thanks for being part of this. You can't do it alone. Got to do it together. This has been a Sunsoaked Creative Production.